a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but approved of God. That's our Savior. Hey, at this time, we're going to invite our children to go ahead and go to the back. Um, Brother Micah's back there. Y'all say, hi, Brother Micah. Micah, this is Micah's first time to be back at Friends of Baptist Church since before COVID. Um, And uh, that young man graduated last year. What a way to graduate, don't you think? Um, Here's the deal. Uh, Brother Micah's going back there, and Brother Nick uh, Sigler um, is is teaching today. And uh, I've asked Brother Nick if he would do something for us, if he could coordinate our children's ministries, but what we're going to do is we're going to, he's going to coordinate a team of volunteers, Um, and uh, this is the plan, is that, hey, if we could have like at least eight uh, people who would pair up and say, hey, we'll we'll be a pair together, this could be a a friend team, it could be a husband-wife team, Um, if they pair up, then then here's the deal, then once a, a month, if we had eight teams, but we could go beyond that, right, we're just saying, but once a month, then that team would be needed to lead children's church for that month. And then what we would do is, and then you could rotate like one month, or you know, one of y'all could teach and then the next month the other one could teach. So here's the deal. If you have any interest in serving our children's ministries, um, let us know. Let Brother Nick Siegler know or let me know and I'll get the information to him. And then in a couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to put a, uh, get a meeting together with our um, with all those who are who are interested because we don't just want to just go like hey you know we're going to show up and we're going to you know uh, you know uh, you know just have a time of class together we want we want to kind of imagine like hey what should this space look like that our children go to y'all know spaces matter right if you came into our church this morning and all of our pews were gone and we had chairs here y'all would say something about it. Right? Y'all wouldn't be just like, oh, it's just a space, it doesn't matter, right? And so one of the things that we've thought through is like, hey, listen, those, it's kind of a stark space back there. I mean, it's, uh, we, we've kind of kept those rooms like to where they, they don't have like a lot of, uh, they're multi-purpose spaces, so we've kept them to where they can pi- be used generally. But you walk back there sometimes, and I, I walk back and I'm like, did I walk into a hospital uh, back here because it's very stark, very like clean lines and stuff like that. And so, um, so, so just as we're talking about this, like people like y'all should understand, like we want, um, we want people to come with some ideas and go, Hey, look, you know, uh, kids like texture and they like, um, they like interaction and they like to not just be sitting in a chair the whole time. I don't know if you know this kids don't like to be sitting in a chair the whole time, uh, or in one space. And so, um, so w- we really want to, um, kind of imagine and be creative about how we um, how we handle this. And so, um, if you have any desire, any interest uh, to help in anything, maybe you go, "Hey, I don't want to teach, but I like to design things," and, and, and or I am a teacher and I don't want to teach on Sundays. So, <laughs> you know, like I do that through the week. But but I will help y'all be creative about this. Um, participate with us in that way as well. Um, that's the announcement that I have um, for us. But so uh, now. Let's get to our moment before we step to the word. And just as we said, Jesus Christ is our living hope. Uh, He is the living stone that we are coming to today. Uh, He's alive. And the old song was, God's not dead. No, he is alive. Remember those days, Brother Mitch? Brother Steve, you remember? Vicki, Camp Mo, uh, 
Camp Mohawk? Oh, yeah. He's alive. That means today, as we turn to the text, which declares him, it's a living word. What's interesting about this is this is an ancient text. Very ancient. I mean, the, the, the story that we're going to be dealing with today, I mean, we're talking about like 4,000 years ago, maybe. Crazy. But it's alive. It's a living story because it happened to real living people. We can identify with people in the text. We can learn from them. We can find out that 4,000 years ago, people were still people. No matter what culture, no matter what technologies have advanced, people are people. In fact, I think the lie is, is that as technologies advance, people become something other. Right? The myth of progress of the Enlightenment was that as technologies advance, we become less barbaric. Has that proved to be the case? So, we come to a living word that has a lively word for us in general and for us as individuals. And right now, let's just ask God. Ask God, the living God, to speak to us. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. We come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. We come before you, God, boldly because we enter after Jesus. And he has standing before you, so we have standing before you. And we come to you, Lord, not only in the name of Jesus, we come not only boldly, but we come knowing, God, that through your Spirit we have a voice before you. For your Spirit speaks that which we don't even know to speak, Lord. And so, God, we come to you, and as the Word says, not only do we come before you, we come before you seeking the grace that we need today. Securing the help that we need. The help that we need to continue loving and trusting you. Lord, the help that we need to continue loving people selflessly. Lord, a bunch of things challenge both of those tasks, those calls, those commands that hang over our lives. Positive things, good things challenge those, us to do those things. Lord, negative things challenge us to do those things. Seductive things challenge us. Appalling things challenge us. But Lord, we just come to you right now and we say, look, like, just like Peter said, hey, we, we are coming and we are desiring the sincere milk of the words so that we might, we might grow. And so, Lord, that's our ask, that's our plea, that's our petition for you today. May you hear our prayer in the mighty 
resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said with me, amen. amen. You know, um, sometimes I think you and I uh, doubt the impact of our lives on other people. Um, I've doubted it before. Uh, I think in church circles, we're almost taught to be ashamed or guilty if we ever thought that we could impact somebody's life positively because that would be too proud of us. Well, in our piety, oh, no, I would, you know, I mean, if anything happens through me, it's not me. It's, got, you know, I mean, it's like I get the statement, but like it really it's like we feel like we're going to be guilty if we go like, hey, I brought you a meal and it encouraged you. And we feel positively about that. Now, I want us to think about this. Like, our lives truly do impact the lives of others. You can, you can alter. You can motivate. And we can do this positively. Faithfully. But we can do this negatively as well. The story that we're going to look at today is a story of a woman who, who, if we really take and we stop and we consider her story and who she is and what she did, she becomes a positive motivator in the story. And what we want to be able to do today, as we read her story, is to celebrate her, for one. And sometimes her story doesn't get celebrated as it should. We, we celebrate aspects of her, but really, when we tell her story, you know, it's easy for us to go like, well, I mean, she did good, but if it weren't for that guy in her life, He's the real hero. We want to celebrate her. And as we celebrate her, we want to celebrate, like, you know, we, we've been talking about Jesus as mothers. Uh, we, we just kind of want to celebrate the ladies in our church today, the women in our church today. But then also we want to be challenged. We want to be challenged because, because the fact of the matter is, is what we're going to find of her, if we could understand her, she was a rarity. Not only in her world, but if we were going to say, hey, like, where are others like her in our world? We'd go, man, in our world, it's kind of rare. But here's the challenge. God doesn't want it to be a rarity in our world. He doesn't want this kind of faithful, selfless love to be so precious that it's so remarkable. He wants it to be the currency. Right? He doesn't want it to be a diamond that you can't attain. He wants it to be like a quarter in your pocket. You deal in it. Commonly. And so that's the challenge today. For us. Celebrate. Dear Sister Ruth. 
one of Jesus' mothers and be challenged by her. With that, um, let's talk about the book of Ruth a little bit. I, I, I think that there's uh, so much richness in this context. I mean, whenever I was studying this week, I was like, well, I don't want to preach a message on Ruth. I want to preach a whole series on Ruth now. And, uh, and we could do that, but, uh, but the Lord said, no, just stay with what you said you were going to do. And so we're just going to stay with what we said we were going to do. A few weeks ago, we looked in Matthew's genealogy, and Matthew mentions five women. And of the five women, four of them have very scandalous stories. And if we think about Mary's story, Mary's story is read like a scandal in her day, right? You, you don't show up as a virgin pregnant, right? That's a lie to most people. They're like, okay, 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 okay. we're not going to buy that. You know, you don't sh- go over to your, your fiance and be like, hey, I'm just going to tell you, like, it was, it was the Holy Spirit. You know, no guy is going to buy that. And so it was a, it was a scandalous story. It was a scandalous event. But the, but the women who came before, uh, all their stories, all the women who are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy are scandalous stories. They're shocking stories. There's seduction. There's intrigue. There's murder involved in these stories. And what we've said is it reminds us God uses us. No matter what our story is. Right? No matter what your story is. And I think sometimes, even if I'm thinking about today, sometimes because of your story, you think God can't use me. Or, let me say this, you think because there's some blemishes in your story, that those blemishes can only lead to negative consequences, negative effects. But you know, the God that we serve, he's the God who takes his son being rejected and crucified. Disallowed indeed of men. And he takes that that story that was a scandal, the cross, a shame, and he's able to use those stories and transform those stories. So the book of Ruth, it it first tells us about this man, Elimelech. And you think you're going to learn about Elimelech and his, and his life. But, but just uh, what we learn is very little about Elimelech. What we do know is this is Elimelech had to take his wife and his two young sons and move out of Bethlehem, Ephratah. And Ephratah is just another name for Bethlehem. It was a region, right? And so, um, so they were called Ephrathites. That just means that they're from this region. But he has to move them out of Bethlehem, out of the promised land of Canaan, because there's a famine in the land. And we learn that he, he does this in the time of the judges. Now, uh, Anybody know some defining characteristics about the time of the judges? What does scripture say about Israel during the time of the judges? Anybody want to take a, a, a leap of faith? And uh, I won't shame you. I won't condemn you if you get it wrong, uh, right? Um, but anybody want to say, hey, this is what Israel was like in the time of the judges. Anybody have a, a, an answer for that? Yes, ma'am? Everybody 
did what was right in their own eyes. So not what they thought was best necessarily, like in that positive way. Uh, they did what they thought was right. And what this is in contrast to is they did what they thought was right, not what God showed them was right. What God instructed them to do was right. Yes, very good, Miss Kathy. She gets, I need to start having gold stars because I just need to start passing them out whenever people are getting these, um, these, these answers right. Judges chapter 2 gives you a summary, like a, a, an overwhelming summary of, of, of this period. It's about, it's several hundred years of, of, of history, lived history. And it says that like, you know, one generation would rise up and, and, and instead, of, instead of trusting in Yahweh to be the one true God and only adhering to his laws and his commands, his statutes for creating and ordering their community to love him with all their heart and to love others selflessly. Instead of doing that, they went and they followed the, the, the gods of Baal and the god of Ashtoreth. And what we know about these gods is these gods, they look a lot like human beings as deities because they're the making of men's minds. And so just like vile tyrants, think of like a, 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 a gang boss. The way a gang boss orders the operation. How are you going to get back into the gang boss's good graces? Well, you have to go prove your undying allegiance to the gang boss by, by maybe killing somebody. They might have to do that by, with their own children. Just like a gang boss has parties, and the parties aren't everybody singing kumbaya, but the parties are drunken, drug-infested, laden with uh, promiscuity and immorality, so were these festivals before these gods. So they quickly turned out of the way. And God would bring these judges in. That's why the book is called Judges. That's why this period is called Judges. And these judges were like, they were like warriors and prophets. And like, like they just had like a, a lot of characteristics that you kind of see later on. But, 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 but they didn't have a, a central king. They didn't have a central government. And so, and so these, these judges came from all different tribes. And, and he would raise up these judges. And these judges served to, 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 to not only fight and defend Israel against these, the, uh, the suppression that would come against them from foreign enemies, um, but it was also to call them back, it was supposed to be to call them back to trusting Yahweh alone, and, 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 and really as you read the book of Judges, the, the story doesn't go from, from like good or from bad to good, it goes from pretty bad to worse, like it devolves over these like 400 years of history. And Elimelech and his wife and two sons have to leave Bethlehem because there's a famine. And what we know is, 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 is what they would theologically think about those famines is we had a famine because people are not listening to the judge. They're not listening to God. People's hearts are hard against the Lord and they've turned against Yahweh and they are worshiping other gods. And so they had to leave. And Ruth goes, or Naomi goes to Moab, and there in Moab, her husband dies, and she's a foreign woman in a foreign land, uh, uh, with uh, with uh, in the midst of foreign gods, and her, and she has to find 
wives for her sons because as we've talked about women didn't have rights they didn't have uh they they, they didn't they didn't have ownership and especially if you're a foreign woman in a foreign land in a foreign culture you are going to be hard up in that culture uh, and so she she's like hey, she's relying on her sons finding wives and they have to find wives of the moabite women and so and so they marry these foreign girls which according to deuteronomy they're not supposed to do right in leviticus they're not supposed to do this thing and so uh, they marry these foreign girls and, and and then they're married to them for 10 years and in those 10 years that they're married to them no children have you ever thought about that aspect of this story I'm thankful for good commentators who, uh, who bring out good insight because that was one of those things I just read over. And then the sons die after 10 years of trying and failing to have children, which Naomi needed them to have children to carry on the family line. Ruth and Orpah, they needed their husbands to have children so that they could have a place in society. But they die. No children. Naomi comes back to Bethlehem. And she's greeted by the town. Well, before she gets back to Bethlehem, she gives her daughters-in-law an out. She says, y'all can go back home. You have no hope with me. I can't give you another son. And see, see, here's the deal. What we need to understand about this culture, this wasn't just like a kind, nice thing for mom to do. In their culture, those daughters had become, the wives of, 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 of her sons had become property of that family. They were duty-bound now to that family. They weren't free to leave that family. And Naomi does something that's against culture and against custom, and she says, hey, go back home. I'm releasing you. And they both resist a little bit. But then one of them says, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity. You're giving me the opportunity. I'm going to take it. And, and no harm, no foul on her, right? I mean, she did what pragmatically what most of us would do. Hey, this is the good opportunity. This is going to, she's giving me the out. I'm going to take it. But the other one, Ruth, she says, no, 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 not so. I'm not taking the out. I'm not going to be released from you. And here's what Ruth is thinking. Who's going to take care of you? That's my duty. That's my responsibility. I'm supposed to take care of you. And I'm going to do it. You know what Ruth is not thinking at this moment? How do I take care of myself? The out given to her was, you can go and you might be able to have, get married and have sons and secure your future. You, you know what Ruth is essentially saying? There's no future for you, and I'm giving up any future that I have. She's sacrificing her future. Naomi gets back to Bethlehem. Everybody cheers. Everybody's exuberant. They say, welcome, Naomi. And she says, don't call me that anymore. She says, call me bitterness. Because the Lord hath been very bitter towards me. What's interesting about this statement in context of the period that they live in 
in context of us knowing that a lot of people went and quickly chased other gods. What's interesting about this statement, although it might ruffle your feathers a little bit to go like, she said that God was bitter towards her. She blamed God for that. Like, what we should see is, what we should see is that she went to Moab and she didn't start worshiping Kamosh, the god of the Moabites. What we should see is whenever she left Moab, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, didn't just say, hey, I'm going to commit myself to you. She said, your God's going to become my God. So what we should see is her faith is not marked by blessings and prosperity, nor is it protected from uh, desperation or destruction. But her faith remains unyielding that God is God. See, even in her blaming God for this, she's saying he's God. Kamosh isn't God. Asherah is not God. The Baal gods are not God. But the Lord, Yahweh, is God. Interesting, huh? So, they get back to town. What are we going to do back in town? Where do we go from here? Well, it happened to be barley harvesting season. And there was this law in Leviticus that said to the people at the harvest time, they said, don't harvest the corners of your fields and whatever falls down on the ground, you leave it and you let the orphan or the widow or the stranger, the foreigner, the, the resident alien. You let them come and they get to harvest the corners of your fields. Now, how big is the corner of your field? Well, I'm sure that they, I'm sure they had some contractual agreements uh, to figure out that because we all, we all want to know, well, how much is this corner, right? Uh, how much do, do I drop, you know, whatever. Um, and it's, so it said, basically, don't pick your fields clean because there's people who don't have a field who need to come and harvest from your field. So Naomi goes, maybe they'll let that happen. Go find a field and just walk behind the harvesters, see what happens. And this is really where we want to get to the meat of our purpose today is she goes to the field of this man named Boaz. Boaz isn't there at the beginning of the day, but she goes to the foreman on the job site and she says, hey, can I, can I harvest, can I reap the harvest with you? She's a foreign girl. She's a widowed woman. She's barren, as far as we know, because for 10 years she didn't have children. And the foreman says, yeah, you can walk behind. Can, can I just tell you, the first sign of hope in this text is that. She works hard all day long. At the end of the day, Boaz shows up to check on how things are going at his property, how the harvesters are doing. He notices a young girl. He says, who's this? I've never seen her before. She's not from around here. 
And they said, oh, this is the Moabite girl who came home with Naomi. And I want you all to see something here. That's all that he needs to know to know who she is. We'll find out this because in verse, uh, we'll pick up in chapter 2. Verse number 8, after hearing who she is, he says, don't go glean in another field, neither go from here, but abide here fast by my maidens. Stay close to my maidens, to, to, to my slave girls that I have work in this field, or to my hired helpers that I have work in this field. He says, let your eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. And I've charged the young men that they shall not touch thee. And when you are thirsty, that you can go into the vessels and you can drink of that which the young men have drawn. Just everything that he's doing here is just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And then she falls down on her face and she understands. This is all against culture. This is all against custom. I'm drinking the same water that your people are drinking. Do y'all not remember not too long ago in American history, there was water fountains for different people? If that wasn't too long ago in American history, we could understand, hey, you go to the same vessel and you get water. A Moabite girl goes to the same vessel as a Hebrew She says, why have I found grace in thine eye? That thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger. She recognizes the situation. And here's the deal. Here's where we read this. And we go, man, look at what Boaz did for her. What an honorable man of valor. And I'm not discrediting any of that. But we need to read the next verse. And we need to let it set on us. Because here's what he says. He doesn't say, well, I'm a good God and I trust in Yahweh and I obey the Ten Commandments. Here's what he says. He answered her and he says, it has been fully shown me all that you have done unto your mother-in-law. Ruth, you gave up your life, your future, to, to stay faithful to your mother-in-law. I imagine this in the time of the judges where everybody's doing that which was right in their own eyes. He, he was going, not only is this rare to me, not only maybe it challenges all of his expectations about the Moabites. Maybe he thought about the Moabites like a lot of us felt about like everybody from the Middle East in the early 2000s. I'm afraid of you. You're hostile. You're a liar. You don't, won't even tell me the truth. I can't do any business with you. You want to blow us up. Now, I know none of y'all felt that way, but some people did. And here she is defying his expectations about Moabites, but here she is also doing something that he probably hasn't seen in his own countrymen. Boaz doesn't say, well, I'm compelled by the Lord. He said, you know what? What you're doing is remarkable to me. I would have never expected this out of we could even, a Moabite, 
I would have never expected this out of a female, possibly. I would have never expected this. You've shown yourself faithful and trusting. And he goes on to say, he says, may God bless you in whose... Uh, and who have you placed your trust, basically? He says, you come under his wings. He pronounces a blessing over her because she's acted faithfully to Naomi. Now, there's much more to this story. But that's the thing that caught my attention this week. Why did Boaz act the way that Boaz did? Because Ruth motivated him to act in such a way. He was taken back. And then you just let your imagination go. Why was he taken back? Well, it was the time of the judges. You go read the last few chapters of Judges and you find out that by that late date in the Judges, uh, it was a very devolved situation in Israel. Why was there a famine in Bethlehem? Well, it seems to be that every time that Israel was going against God, famine came, pestilence came, plague came, foreign invaders came. And he understood the gravity of what it meant for Ruth to say, no, Naomi, on that road. I'm not going home, but I'm staying with you. He knew that everything she was doing was not acting in her self-interest. In fact, I wonder this. He says, I've heard your story. I thought about this. I wonder how he heard that story. Did he hear the story as remarkable as he took it? Or was it some of that passive-aggressive southern charm did you hear about Naomi? She came back here. Yeah, poor thing. Poor thing. Yeah, poor thing. I mean, it's a really sweet thing that that daughter-in-law did for her. I mean, she stayed with her. I don't know what she's thinking. I don't think that the town women go, good on you, Ruth. They were like, Ruth, what are you thinking? I mean, she just gave up everything. I could almost even imagine maybe, well, they're our responsibility now. They're back here. Now we have to take care of them. And I'm, I know we do everything out of, you know, Southern Charm and Southern Hospitality. And we love to take care of people until we have to take care of them. Right? If I have to take care of you, I'm not... I mean, you, 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 should, you should say, oh, well, if you really, thank you. We don't really need the help, but if you want to offer it, we'll take it. But if I come and I'm desperate, I'm going, I have nowhere else to go. You're like, how'd you get in yourself in this situation? Man, that hurts sometimes, but I feel the exact same way. So don't take me as one of those pastors who waves my finger. Man, we can be so terrible. My wife, we deal with this in our home all the time. She's needed a lot from me this week, I've, uh, the last few weeks. Um, and I've been wrestling with this flesh 
over it. And it's like, here's the deal. Here's what I can do. I can be really great in this. I can like go do a lot of things around our house. I can mow the yard. I can wash dishes. I can wash and fold clothes and put them away because clothes are not done until they've all been folded and put away. Don't tell me you did the clothes if they weren't folded and put away. That's only, you, you, you washed the clothes. You dried the clothes. You did not do the clothes. All right, okay, I, that's Rick Austin. Uh, look, he, I was learned that as a child and I'm trying to teach others, all right? Um, but uh, here's the deal. Brittany's like, that's not funny because he said that to me. (laughs) And he's not joking. He really means it, right? Um, But here's the deal. And then Brittany can say to me, after I've done all this, will you get me a cup of water? Will you refill my water bottle? And I'm like, no, because I've done all this other stuff. I don't want to do the things that you need me to do. So I wonder, uh, he, he heard her story, but I wonder if he heard her story as everybody going, oh, that's so great, or people like slandering a little bit. Who would do such a thing? And then I think about it, and I'm like, man, what Ruth did was very cross-like. She denied herself, and she took up her cross. Not for the blessings and benefits, but she was willing to sacrifice, willing to lay down her future. So that Naomi, Naomi, who's like Job, like she's the female Job. Reread that story with that in mind. So that Naomi, who lost everything, could be taken care of by somebody who would be faithful to her, even though it promised her nothing. Wow. So we celebrate Ruth today. But we're also challenged by Ruth today, aren't we? We're challenged because we're going to go out this week. And you're probably not going to be asked to do big things. But you're going to be asked to do a ton of little things. And every step of the way that something's asked of you, you're going to be met with the challenge whether or not you want to selflessly serve others you want to risk it, your time. What are you risking, right? Well, if I have to do that, then I won't have all, all the time to do whatever I want to do. And what is it that you want to do? I want, I want to play golf. I want to read a book. I just want to sit on my rear end, on my tuchus, right? Like you just want to, what, do you, what are you risking? I'm risking my time. It is a risk. I'm risking my energy. Well, if I do that, I'm just going to, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of me spread out. Resources, uh, not, it didn't just take my time. It didn't just take my energy. Like, I have to pay something for this. And you're going to be asked a thousand, a, 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 a thousand different small things all across the board. And now we know this story every single time it happens. And every single time you go, I don't want to do that. We're going to be met with the challenge of Ruth. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> I did not mean to do that to y'all today. Except for I know this. 
her story was talked about around town because it was rare. People didn't see that happening too much. It served as a testimony. And it motivated others to do what was right. It motivated Boaz. Hey, if she's going to give up this, well, I'm going to honor that. Now, Boaz could have been unaffected by it, so Boaz has good character on display here. But he wasn't affected by nothing. He was affected by Ruth. He wasn't motivated by nothing. He was motivated by Ruth. You and I have the immense capability to motivate others onto love and to good works. In a thousand different ways that we're going to be asked, a thousand different ways this week are all, are all compounding opportunities for us to do that. And this world needs it because it proves to be a unique witness. And what it really testifies of, and this is what we have to challenge our heart on too, it testifies who we really trust in, where our faith really lies. See, Ruth left, and what Boaz got from her testimony was that she was entrusting herself to the Lord. So he said, that blessing over her. He said, uh, the Lord recompense thy work, and full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under, under whose wings you, you've come to trust. See, she was not just a testimony, I'm a really good girl. I'm one of those, I'm, I'm not like the other Moabites, right? She wasn't just a testimony of that. She was a testimony that my faith is in the Lord God of Israel. And when we do it, we testify that our faith is in Jesus of Nazareth, who himself died on a cross for others. with that I say, amen. I'm going to invite you. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Isn't it beautiful that the gospel's all throughout the Bible? The good news is there. All throughout it. When Jesus wanted to know what it looked like to be faithful, he could look to his Great, 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 great grandmother Ruth. And he could go, that's, that's good faithfulness there. It's selfless love for others. And he took her example. And he magnified it. My brothers and my sisters, I'm going to invite you just to spend some time in prayerful reflection. If you need somebody to pray with, I will be here. Either I will pray with you or somebody else will pray with you. Um, 
So let's spend a few minutes praying, and then we'll be dismissed with a song. Lord God, we come to you right now. My brothers and sisters, if you're praying, you just continue praying. Don't let me interrupt your prayer. But Lord, we come to you right now. And Lord, we just pray and we thank you. We celebrate Ruth with you, Father. We celebrate that Jesus carried on and even magnified this, this faithful, selfless, sacrificial love. Lord, we, we, re, we receive it as a gift, but Lord, we also receive it as a challenge for our own lives. And Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would be with us, that you would equip us through the power of your Spirit to bear the fruit of your Spirit, to not only, to not only serve others, not only do what's asked of us a thousand different ways and a thousand different times this week, but that we do it patiently we do it kindly we do it gently we do it meekly we do it humbly we do it lovingly lord that's my prayer and i pray that as we do this that we will go and we we will be able to know lord we will be assured each and every night and when we pillow our head even if we didn't do the great things but we did the mundane things in the name of Jesus, that we've been good disciples and that through our following Jesus, we've testified, laid the groundwork to make new disciples, Lord. God, I pray and I ask that you would please be with us. Hear this prayer. Receive us as your people and empower us as we go from this place. I pray all these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. This song that we're about to sing, is, it says, I am who you say I am. This morning, what I would like you to think about is what he says about us. Is we are filled with his spirit and we are able to do work.
We are able to do things that testify of him in this world. May we go do it. Let's stand up together this morning.